Amen. Today we begin a series through the book of Acts. So you have your Bibles. Go with me to Acts. Series called Church on Fire. Church on Fire. And I don't mean that fire. I mean a different fire. Um, I'm really excited about spending however long it takes to go through the book of Acts. It's one of my favorite books, uh, if not the, the favorite book in the Bible for me. Of course, I say that about every book that I'm preaching through. I just spend so much time reading it. I just uh, so much to see and to know. And so uh, we'll be diving into Acts today. I love the Acts, uh, uh, Acts so much because there's just so much incredible information. And I can't wait to see what the, what the Lord Jesus has to teach us through his spirit here at Christ Community through this book. The title of my first sermon is this, Finishing What Jesus Started, The Mission of, church, of the Church in Every Generation. Finishing what Jesus started, the mission of the church in every generation. The, the whole book of Acts uh, it can be summed up really kind of the, in the front section. He's going to, his opening remarks kind of line out where we're going. And uh, just to give you an idea of, of Luke here, so Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, the, in the, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He wrote the Gospel of Luke, and he's writing Acts. So this is like a two-part series called Luke-Acts. And we're starting right in the middle of the book. Now, if you were here throughout our Mark series, you kind of have an idea of the setup. The Gospels really work to present us the life and death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so the, this, this Gospel here in Luke does all these things. To tell you who Luke is, Luke is, is not some uh, fisherman type. He's not like a guy like, like the other disciples had been Luke is a Gentile who's been converted to Christianity. He's a contemporary of Paul. And Luke is a doctor, Colossians tells us. He's a really smart guy. He grew up in Antioch, a well, uh, well-off city. He was highly educated. He's a really smart guy, and he's saved. Uh, and then he, in his attempt to, uh, to affirm all these things that he had witnessed or been a witness to, he gives us the Gospel of Luke. He does this investigative study of who Jesus is, and what Jesus taught and gives us the gospel of Luke as truth. And then he gives us his own account of the early church and the spread of the gospel and the spread of God's kingdom and the church planning efforts and all these things. He does all this investigative research and writes it all down under the Holy Spirit's leadership and presents us with this Luke-Acts idea. And so when we study Acts, you're going to see so much happening. You're going to meet a lot of characters, but two characters really rise above a lot of the others. A guy's guy's named Peter and Paul. Now, Peter, you know from uh, the series in Mark and the Gospels, Peter is a central figure among Jesus' guys. And then another guy named Paul, who is a central figure in all the New Testament writings, who we're going to meet in Acts, and we're going to see him saved in Acts. And so we meet these two guys, and they're going to stand out to give us the book of Acts. And we're going to see all the Lord does through these early missionaries. Let me give you the main point, just for clarity's sake. I want to go ahead and give you the main point today so it's not confusing to you, so you know exactly what I want you to know. It's, a, it's rather long. If you know me, it might tend to be short and pivy, but not today. Here they are. God's purpose to bring, uh, God purposes to bring salvation to all people through the message of the gospel by the empowered witness of his disciples. I'll read it again. God purposes to bring salvation to all people through the message of the gospel, by the empowered witness of his disciples. Now, I want you to get it today, and so we're going to go slowly through it, 
and I'll give you some application toward the end. But first, understand that God purposes to bring salvation to all people. God purposes to bring salvation to all people. If you know the gospel story, if you know the Bible, you know that the Bible gives us, in the opening chapters, creation. God's goodness and his love for you and I, he creates the world. He gives us Adam and Eve, the first, the first man and first woman, sets them apart as a family, gives them to us, tells them you are free to love and to live under my sovereign care and flourish. Just don't do this one thing. And Adam and Eve, in their own pride and their own rebellion, disobey God and they disobey exactly what God told them to do. And they eat fruit from the tree God told them not to eat of. And you know what happens quickly after that? All of a sudden, their eyes are open, sin enters the world, and they hide from God when they hear Him. Rather than living in a right relationship, they run from God, hiding from Him, ashamed in their sin because their eyes are open to sin. And in that moment, sin enters the world and breaks everything. Sin breaks our relationship with God, our relationship with each other, our relationship with creation, our relationship with ourselves, sin breaks it all and devastation happens. If you don't believe me, just look at Genesis 4 because what happened before Genesis 3 was beautiful and kind and great. In Genesis 4, Adam and Eve's sons grow up and one kills the other. Brother kills brother. And it just keeps going all throughout the Old Testament. You see the flourishing not of just of goodness in God's kingdom, but you see the flourishing of sin that leads to death upon death and tragedy upon tragedy brokenness upon brokenness and you don't have to look very far to know that brokenness exists because in every family in this room in every marriage in every relationship brokenness exists even in your own soul brokenness exists but the good news is that God has purposed to bring salvation to all people in Genesis 3:15 God promises that through the seed of the woman will come his son a savior of the world who will come and set all the wrongs right he will come and make all things right one day and, and roll back the curse of sin that's come into the world. And so you see Genesis 3.15, this promise that through, he says, I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your seed, talking to the serpent, and her seed, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Meaning this person will crush the head of the serpent. Then you get to this guy named Abraham and God promises to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. That through the seed of Abraham, who traces back to Eve, that God's bringing about a, a person who will make his seed and his people great. Then you get to a guy named David, and God promises to David in 2 Samuel 7, when your days are complete and you lie down with your father, I will raise up your descendant after you, who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. Once again, pointing us forward to a person who would come. So the whole of the Old Testament, if you ever want to, like, I just don't understand the Old Testament. I can't read the Old Testament. It's really simple. The Old Testament is about God's mission to bring us to Jesus Christ, the one who would save us from our sin. And God does this all throughout the Old Testament, traces the line of Jesus all the way to Matthew 1 or Luke 1 or John 1 or Mark 1 and gives us Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. This is God's purpose. He's purposed to bring salvation to you and me and to not leave us in our sin. So if you're here today and you're trying to figure out how do I get out of sin? 
How do I get out of my sin? How do I get out of my brokenness? How do I get set free from my struggles, from my porn addiction, from my alcoholism? How do I get set free from these chains that are holding me down? How does my marriage get fixed? How does my family get fixed? The good news for you is that God has purposed for you to know it today, for you to hear the gospel, for you to believe him today. God has purposed this, and you get to the gospel of Luke or Mark or Matthew and John, then Jesus shows up on the scene as an adult, and he starts doing ministry, and he starts doing these things, and these gospels tell us about the life and ministry and mission of Jesus, and he starts rolling back the curse of sin. He takes lame people and makes them walk. He takes dead people and makes them alive. He makes broken people healed. He makes hurting and diseased people clean. Jesus rolls back the curse of sin, the curse of death, by just one word or one touch, or not even sometimes it's his touch, someone touches his robe and they're healed. See, Jesus has power to do what you and I can't do. He has power to set things right, to bring us back into right relationship with God that we have broken because of our sin. And that's good news. And maybe you're a Christian today and you forgot the good news that Jesus has given us. Maybe you've forgotten the power of God in Jesus Christ. And the world is fascinated by Jesus. They're fascinated by who he is. They were fascinated by him then. Some people followed Jesus. They watched Jesus. They observed Jesus' life and ministry. They saw real miracles take place, miracles that could not be, uh, um, uh, could not be explained. He wasn't doing some sort of cheap parlor tricks. He was doing real things. And they were, they were blown away by the things that Jesus uh, was doing. It'd be like if, if you were praying today and all of a sudden you were diseased and you had cancer or you were lame or blind and all of a sudden you were able to see maybe because you've been praying for so long or maybe you had a, a real encounter with Jesus and you stood up here and you'd be like, whoa, what, what's taking place? You'd be so excited and so thrilled because of what's taking place in your life. And that should be the case of all of us who've received Jesus Christ as the Lord of our life. You know, I, I think about right now how even our world is so... Uh, um, fascinated by who Jesus is. Everyone's kind of curious about who he is and what he does. You know, right now, it's really strange, and I hesitate to even say this, but Kanye West apparently just became a Christian. If you didn't know that, it's like all over the news. And uh, he's holding Sunday services, and I'm not sure what to make of it all, but I know that the preacher he had at the last one was a graduate of the Master Seminary, John MacArthur Seminary, and could flat preach the gospel. And he stood up among all the people and fat, flat preached Jesus. Now, I don't know what God wants to do through Kanye West or Chance the Rapper, but praise the Lord in heaven. What if, much like the Jesus movement in the 70s, what if God decided to bring about a spiritual awakening through Kanye West and Chance the Rapper today? I'm serious. What if he did? Like, would we be sitting on the sidelines throwing stones? Or would we be like, yes, praise Jesus in heaven because God's kingdom keeps going. What if God uses those guys, like he used Peter, like he used Paul? I believe God wants to use you like he used those guys today. He wants to use the members who make up Christ's community today for his glory. We think about these things. It's, it's, it's this idea that Jesus radically changes people because people listen to him and they obey him and they take him at his word and they believe by faith. Jesus came to bear the punishment of the sins of the world, we're told. That he died an awful death, bearing the weight of your sin and my sin, and he was put in the tomb. And three days later, Jesus arose from 
death, defeating hell and sin once and for all. And that's good news. John 3, 16, right? It's my favorite verse. I try to quote it every sermon. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So God has purposed salvation of all people. I don't mean he's going to save everyone. I don't believe in universalism. I believe he, he wants the offer of salvation to be made for anyone that would come to him in faith. To every tongue and every tribe and every nation, every person would have the opportunity to hear the gospel and respond in faith. And that offer of salvation should be freely given to everyone that we know and that we love. Simply put, in love, God gave up his only son for you and for me. His son died so that you and I could be saved from death. Now anyone who would come to God believing in his son by faith will be saved. And we pick up that main point again, and we, where the, the next part of that main point says, through the message of the gospel, this is the message. The life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, his life given for the sins of man. And God's desire is for all people to hear the gospel and have the opportunity to be saved. And this is where we pick up in Luke. Luke begins by affirming where he's been, what he's written, and gives us a direction of where he's going. Acts 1 Luke writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, read with me. I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus. Theophilus means beloved one, the one loved. It's the same name given to the guy he writes to originally in Luke. It's a name given to the church, given to you today, beloved of God. I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Get this, he uses the word began. Now keep in mind here that Jesus it has, has lived the life on earth. He has done all this ministry. He's taught all these things. And Luke says, I gave you the first account that Jesus began to do, to teach and to do. He began to do it because when Jesus goes to heaven, he sits on his throne and his work continues. And it continues through a special people. Keep going with me. It says, until the day he was taken up after he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Verse 3. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Luke wants you to hear. Luke wants you to know that these things really happen. He's a smart guy. He's an educated guy. He's a doctor. He's, he's not trying to let you get out of here doubting this thing. He's saying, I wrote because Jesus really did presented himself alive. He was alive, breathing. We saw his wounds. We saw his scars. But he had real breath in his body. And he did this by many convincing proofs. He did more miracles. He did more things. And he appeared to them over a period of 40 days. And what we don't know, what we also know is that he appeared to over 500 people. That Jesus were, was there and all these people saw him. All these people saw what took place and they all were, were just amazed before them. And notice what Jesus talks about while he's with them. He talks about the kingdom of God. Jesus talks about God's kingdom. And that's really central to this text, the kingdom of God. He doesn't talk about the kingdom of Israel. He doesn't talk about the kingdom of Rome. He talks about the kingdom of God. And I don't think we quite understand today that we're called out of this world and we're called to live for God's kingdom. We're called to be kingdom citizens before we're American citizens. We're called to be kingdom-focused before we're American-focused. 
We're called to be God's people who are living here on earth for God's purposes and God's glory. This was central teaching to Jesus' ministry. Jesus came to build God's kingdom. Jesus' ministry on earth was just the beginning. His ministry would continue from heaven. It's important to understand this, that Jesus did his work while on earth, then he went to heaven to sit on his throne and to continue his work. But while Jesus is there, who is here? We are. We are here. Back to my main point. God purposes to bring about salvation to all people through the message of the gospel by the empowered witness of his disciples. And this is really where I want us to settle in today, by the empowered witness of his disciples. And I want us to see this through the remaining verses we're going to read here. And we're going to start with verse 4. The question is, what does it mean to be an empowered witness? What does it mean to be an empowered witness? I hope to explain that to you. Here we go. Verse 4. Luke continues writing. While he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which he said, you have heard, from me, heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel at this time? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's really important to, to digest some of this here. Jesus says, he commands them, don't go anywhere until the Father's promise has come. And that is the Holy Spirit of God. That God's sending his spirit upon them. And when he comes, he will be, they will be changed. They will experience something like never before. And we'll get to that in a few weeks. But what's important to see is Jesus highlights here a couple things. He, he, you kind of hear the disciples ask a question. Are you now restoring the kingdom of Israel? And this is a, a hang-up that they kept having. If you remember when Jesus first came, they were all really excited because they thought now was the time Jesus was going to come and the Messiah was going to come and overthrow the Roman government and reestablish uh, God's, God's kingdom of Israel in the land. And Jesus says, no, 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 you're too short-sighted. That's not where we're going. And then here you have Jesus has died. Now he's resurrected. Now he's shown himself and, and he's, he's back on the scene. They're like, all right, Jesus, now you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel. Now's the time, right? And Jesus says, no, no, guys. You're being too short-sighted. You're missing out on a crucial part of God's kingdom. God's kingdom is much longer, than, and, 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 and it's coming, but not yet. We think about this today. I mean, we're gathered here today as those who gathered under the name of Christ community. We are Christians who are a little kingdom outpost of God's kingdom. And there are little kingdom outposts all across our city and all across the world who are all unified and worshiping and praising the same king that sits on his throne today. And so any sort of political party takeover, Jesus is not the kind of Jesus we serve. Jesus is about God's kingdom, not man's kingdom, and the spread of God's kingdom. And Jesus tells them two things. He says, you will receive power is the first thing he says when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now, I want to be clear here. Uh, there are some theologies that teach that uh, you're saved, and then another time down the ro road, you've got to wait on the Spirit of God to come upon you. We don't believe that. We believe Jesus, upon salvation, saves you and puts his spirit in us. We will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Let me, let me help clarify a little more on the spirit side of things. If you're, 
If you like alliteration, I've got four P's for you. Four P's. You ready? First P you get is promise. The, the Father's promise is what the Spirit is known as. The Old Testament tells us that God one day will raise up a people and He will put His Spirit in them. And we today are living examples of that. We are the, the, the fulfillment of that promise that we live with the Spirit of God in us. Ephesians 1 says this, In Him you also, Paul writes, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. The only people who had to wait on the Spirit of God were the apostles, the disciples. After them, every person that trusted in Jesus is immediately empowered with the Holy Spirit of God. He's put in us. So you get this, uh, this idea of, of a promise. Think about an envelope. Back in, in earlier days, when people would seal their letters, they would seal it with a stamp. They, often they would, they would put their initials on the stamp, and they would, they would dip it in wax, and they'd seal the letter with their initials saying, this is sealed. I, I think about... Um, this is the idea that, that God puts his spirit in us and seals us. I, I think about when I go to Chuck E. Cheese. Now, when I go to Chuck E. Cheese with six kids, everyone else there is like, oh, gosh, here we go. Look at all these kids. So I walk into Chuck E. Cheese, and you walk in, there's a gate, and there's a person there who's got a stamp, and they're just rolling it on my wrist. Rolling, they, they put the same number, and they put all my kids and all my family with the same number on my wrist. In order to see the number, you've got to have this, this UV light shine on it. So when you leave Chuck E. Cheese, they shine the light to make sure that you all belong together in the same family. See, when the Holy Spirit, when you're saved and God puts His Spirit in you, God seals you. And the ultraviolet light from heaven sees that you belong to God. They see that you belong to God in heaven what the people on earth see, the way they know that, you're, that you belong to God, is your fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, self-control, joy. You get these things? The, the way others on earth see that you're sealed with the Spirit is by how you live, how you talk, how you treat others, how you care for people, how you share the gospel, how you live for Jesus. The fruit of your salvation, the fruit of the Spirit's work and walk in you is how others know who you belong to. God sees the Spirit in you. Others see your actions because you have the Spirit in you. Because you've been saved and changed by Jesus Christ. So you have this, this promise. Paul also says in Ephesians that the Holy Spirit is our deposit, the first installment of eternal life, guaranteeing the full payment of enjoying God in heaven because God is with us. So therefore, the Holy Spirit guarantees our spot in heaven. The Holy Spirit ain't leaving you, and that's good news. You can't lose your salvation because you've been sealed by God's promise if you're a Christian today. I don't care how much you sin. I don't care how far off you go. I don't care how far you run or how hard you try. God loves you, and God's going to pursue you, and God saves those who are His, and that's good news. This is one P. Promise. Second P, person. We'll go a little faster. Person. The Holy Spirit is not a force. I know all you Star Wars fans are just like trying to figure out how to describe the Spirit as some sort of force, and that's just silly. Not a force. Not a conviction. He's not a feeling. He's not some sort of weird presence. He is a person. He's a real person. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Trinity. That's what we're given. All three are present before creation. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit of God is hovering over the, the earth. The Spirit of God is a person who lives in you. God puts his 
person in you upon salvation. And we're to walk in step with the Spirit of God, knowing that His person is in us. When we, when we live for Him, we love Him, we talk about how the Spirit lives in us and lives out of us. We listen to the Spirit of God. When we pray, I, I pray like this, Dear Spirit of God, I pray for me today, I pray that you would help keep me from sin. You'd help me be mindful of the decisions I'm making. Would you give me wisdom today, Holy Spirit? Would you give me discernment today, Holy Spirit? Would you help me as I preach today, Spirit? I can't, I can't do this. You've got to preach through me, Spirit. You've got to come out and convict heart, Spirit of the living God. Please, God. It's a person, not some random just force. A real person living in us to, to help us. Third, presence. I say presence here because it is the very presence of God. Spirit of God is God's presence in you. Think about this. That the Spirit of God is with you all the time. God's presence is with you all the time. There is nowhere you can run from God's Spirit. So when you're alone, by yourself, God is watching. I think about this phrase, it really, we should really be spooked by this, that the holy gaze of God is always upon us. That God's presence is always with us. Even when you're alone and you're sitting there and you're tempted to look at pornography or you're looking at it, God's presence is right there with you. When you're struggling that temptation, alcohol or whatever it might be, when you're, when you're with that girl of the opposite sex, that guy with the opposite sex, whatever it is, whatever your situation, God is present with you, watching you. Not just to scare you, but yes, we should absolutely be scared by that, but to help us. To be reminded that God has more for us than what Satan is tempting us with. Temptation is from Satan. Temptation is to lure us away from trust in God and dependency on someone else. God's presence is with us. And then the fourth P is power. The Spirit empowers us. It gives us power to be His witness. The Spirit gives us power to live for Him, to go for Him, to live boldly declaring him. The Spirit empowers us. And so when I talk about empowered witnesses, I want you to know that being a witness for Jesus is not something that you just do by yourself. God has empowered you to be his witness. He wants you to be this. And so we are told here that Jesus says to them that you will receive this power, the promise of God, will come upon you. And then after that power comes, then you will be my witnesses. And that's important to know that you can't be a witness apart from the power. That the power is important to give us the credentials and the energy and the focus and all the means of which we need to be all that God's calling us to be. You will receive power. But he also says, Jesus says, and you will be my witnesses. I think about a witness and I, I think about when I was uh, nine, uh, I think I was eighth grader or ninth, a freshman or something and we, our student ministry went to Gatlinburg on a winter retreat and uh, we had like a free day and, and Gatlinburg has a chairlift up a mountain you guys know what I'm talk, talking about? They have this chairlift up a mountain and, uh, and my friend and I were riding the chairlift and another friend was behind us he was like the third wheel and got stuck on the one behind us and we just happened to have bottle rockets and so a lot of my story for some reason have, has bottle rockets in them I love fireworks. And so um, we, were, we were on the thing. Like, hey, you know what would be funny? If we, if we fired bottle rockets back at my, at, at my friend. And my friend, of course, was like, 
great idea. And so we had mastered the art of shooting bottle rockets from our hands. You just lean it there and aim it in the direction you want. And it's, it's great. So we lit one. We, we started firing them off. And my friend was like freaking out. Guys, stop it. They're yelling at me and everything. And so we get off. And we're trying to like get out of there because there are other people watching. And uh, someone stopped us. And we're like, we, we saw you. We don't know what you're talking about. And we try to, you know, make up things. We're on church retreat. Good kids here. And we're like, and, and so they, nope, we, we saw what happened and that was wrong. And they called us out on it. And we were just kind of stuck here because we had a witness. They had observed what happened. They, had, they heard the noises. They saw it with their own eyes. And there was no denying that. There was a witness. And this is the, what we're told is that we are to be witnesses. The apostles, the disciples were witnesses. They really saw the life of Jesus. They really saw his death and his burial. And then after three days, they really saw his life alive and breathing and the convincing proofs. And he appeared for 40 days hanging out with them and talking. That's a long time. And he was with them. And he appeared to over 500 people. They are witnesses to the things of Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you've been saved, you've experienced the gospel, you too are a witness to what God has done in you. I think about being a, a witness when it comes to our testimonies. Our testimonies go like this. To, to have a testimony is my life before I met Jesus, how I was, I was guilty for my own sin, where I was headed toward hell, a Christless eternity, destined for that. But when I met Jesus, let me tell you when I met Jesus, I was at church and this preacher was preaching and I don't know what happened. I was convicted all of a sudden of my sin and he called for me to believe in Jesus and with all the faith I had, with all my sin, I believed. And after I met Jesus, I don't know, I don't even know how to explain it, but my life changed. I got involved in church and God started speaking to me and, and growing me through his word. And now I've had the opportunity to tell others about Jesus. And let me tell you, my life is so much better after I met Jesus than, when I, than before I met Jesus. This is a witness. This is what it means to be a witness to all people. And Jesus says we're to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. That idea is to start locally where you're at in your community, to go to your city as a whole or your region, to go all across your, your country, and then to the ends of the earth. That the gospel starts here and it aims for the nations. This is the goal that we are to have, to be witnesses here to the ends of the earth. This is why we send mission teams. This is why we pray for God to raise up full-time missionaries. We do this because we believe in fulfilling what Jesus has commanded us to do as his witnesses. We pick up in verse 9. After he said this, he was taken up as they were watching. So Jesus goes to heaven. He, they're standing there talking to him at some point, and Jesus pieces out and goes to heaven. As they're watching... And the cloud took him out of their sight. And you can imagine their astonishment. Like, what just happened? He is gone. He was with us for 40 days. He's left us here now. We thought this was the, the, the incoming, the, the raising of his kingdom. And what are we to do? And it says, while he was going, they were gazing into heaven. And suddenly, two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. Jesus was raised to heaven, ascended to heaven, and one day he's returning. And these guys say, stop staring into heaven, get busy. Why are you standing here looking into heaven? You got work to do. Because the work they are to do is to continue the work that Jesus began to do through his life and ministry. And keep in mind that Jesus here ascends to heaven. 
He no longer reigns on earth doing ministry, but now he sits on his throne doing ministry through you and through me, reigning as king. And one day he will return as king. And we are to be found faithful. And so I, I really wanted to give this some clear, just some clear application. And here we are. What does it mean to live as God's witnesses? Living as God's witnesses. First, we are changed by God's truth. We are changed by God's truth. Have you, have you been changed by the truth of God? Changed by the gospel message? The truth that God loves you? That God, even though you are in your sin and, and in your brokenness, and you try to pursue your own way out of brokenness, and you try to change your own self, the kind of change you need doesn't come from anything else, but the kind of change you need can only come from a relationship with Jesus Christ, from the gospel. And we come to God in repentance and faith and believe in Him. God gives us the power we need to recover and pursue His design for our life. God does this. And in God's Word, we have all that we need to live for Him his word is to sink into us. When we read God's word, when we put God's word before us and we read it, we don't read it as people who are unintelligent. We read it as people who are empowered with God's spirit. We read it as those who read and through some sort of miraculous empowerment of the spirit, the spirit of God helps us understand the truth of God's word. The, the spirit of God teaches us from his word. And so yes, in your own strength, it's hard. But in the power of God, in your, His Spirit, we can read and apply it to our lives. We are those who are to live out of this truth of the gospel now. The, Matthew calls us to be salt of the earth, to be distinct, to be different from everybody else because of the gospel message in us. We've been changed by God's truth. Secondly, we are empowered by God's Spirit. Talked a lot about this. We've been empowered by His Spirit the Spirit of the living God lives in you and lives in me if you're a Christian today. And, and it can be so easy for us to forget the day-to-day -day grind of walking in the Spirit. I'm telling you, I, I don't know if you believe me or not, but I, I talk about this almost every week. There's immense power in beginning your day with God's Word. There is just, it, it will change your life if you will begin your day in God's Word. Even if you set up a daily devotion to be delivered to your phone. If it's, if it's a one scripture a day. If you will just get in the habit of reading God's Word the first part of your day and, and tell God, I'm reading this, God. I need you to help me understand it and speak to me today. God will use that throughout your whole day through His Spirit. Oftentimes, we walk through life without reading God's Word. We go from Sunday to Sunday and not spending any time God's Word. And we wonder, where's God at? God's Word, God's Spirit, is important for the daily life as God's people. We are empowered by God's Spirit. Third, we are compelled by God's mission. We are compelled by God's mission. Listen, we are to be compelled by God's mission. We are to live for the conversion of people to faith in Jesus. We should pray for this. We should labor for it. We should strategize it. We are to go after it. We are not to quit, not to give up, not to stop until every person we know has heard the gospel or believed the gospel. 
Better yet, you should just share it all the time until they eventually believe the gospel because they're so sick of hearing it from you. I want to be very clear. We should live, our main purpose should be living for the conversion of people to faith in Jesus. We should be so compelled by God's mission that happened thousands upon thousands of years ago in Genesis 3 that, that goes all the way to the day Jesus returns. The one calling that you and I have is to live for God's mission, to be compelled by it. The reason you have breath today is for God's mission. You are his empowered agent. This is good news. Like, this is encouraging. You've been saved for God's glory among the nations. You've been saved to be used for your family, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers. Every person that you know needs to hear the gospel, and they're going to hear it from you or someone else, or they're not going to hear it at all. We should be compelled by this mission because what we got when we believe Jesus we got forgiveness for our sin we got eternity with Jesus this is good news we've been saved from the worst disease that's ever been happened and that's the, the, the disease of sinfulness of lostness God made us alive with Christ Jesus that's good news we should be compelled by that and number four we are motivated by God's kingdom motivated by God's kingdom. We understand that Jesus is both reigning now and we are to continue his work as his people. Not only that, we are to live knowing he will return and take us home. Therefore, we need to be found faithful as stewards of God's gospel and faithful servants. Let me tell you how freeing it is. And, and I don't know if, you're, if you may, may need to be reminded of this. There is something freeing and not fearing death. There, there's something freeing about knowing that the only thing I'm supposed to do is live for God's kingdom, not any other kingdom, because all other kingdoms pale in comparison to God's kingdom. God's kingdom matters more than America. God's kingdom is to be priority over my citizenship here. Now, citizenship here matters, my vote matters, what we do matters, Absolutely, it matters. But I have a longer range goal in mind to be accountable before God and how I vote and what I vote for and what I stand for and what I don't stand for. And those long-term, that kingdom of God mindset is more important than the kingdom of America mindset. And we need to be reminded that we should not fear. I want you to know, I don't care who becomes president in 2020. Jesus is still the king, and his mission's still going on, so I ain't scared. I don't care if Christians get persecuted in America one day. I ain't scared. Jesus is still on the throne. Victory is his. What's there to worry about, folks? What we're called to be is his witnesses, empowered from on high for his glory until he returns or takes us home. Who becomes president doesn't change that. And we should be reminded that standing before Jesus one day giving account of our life here on earth as his kingdom people is more important than whatever we want, whatever pleasures the world offers us. Living for his kingdom, that motivates us. It motivates you when you get up tomorrow and who you spend more time with, yourself or Jesus on your knees in prayer. 
It motivates you when you think about who you're going to share the gospel with this week. It motivates you when you think about the kind of temptation that's coming across your screens this week on your phones, your devices. It motivates you when it comes to the uh, potential affair that you're walking the line on. It motivates you to tell the truth when someone asks you for the truth. It motivates us because we have a higher calling, one greater, one bigger, one better than anything this world offers us. So we should not fear. If I share the gospel, they're going to think I'm weird. Who cares? Their soul is more important than how you feel. We are to be bold, live death-defying for Jesus Christ wherever he calls us to go. Our task is to finish what Jesus started. This is the mission of the church in every generation. It isn't to have a happy life, a settled life, a comfortable life. We are to live with death-defying faith, boldly and courageously sharing the gospel with every person we can until Christ returns because he's empowered us with his spirit to do so for his glory. This is what we're doing. This is why I love Acts because it's the only book without an actual ending. Every other book concludes, concludes and wraps things up. Acts 28 doesn't end. It just kind of s- keeps going, but there's no Acts 29. And I love this. It, it, this is whole, this open-ending, uh, open-ended leading uh, of, the, of things helps us see the work of Jesus Christ throughout every generation that the early church started, and we today are recipients of that same gospel, that ki- same kingdom expansion. As we sit here in the kingdom of God that's already here, but not yet fully here. And until it's fully here, we live as those who take every breath for his glory. One commentator in 1895 ended his commentary like this. This is Arthur Pearson. He wrote, Church of Christ, the records of these acts of the Holy Ghost have never reached completeness. This is the one book which has no proper close because it waits for new chapters to be added so fast and so far as the people of God shall reinstate the blessed spirit in his holy seat of control. I wonder what will history teach us about the witness of Christ's community. I wonder what, uh, out of those 3,000 unreached people groups that have zero witness of Jesus Christ, what if three of them are reached in our generation because of our witness, and 100 years from now there are churches gathered just like this who are now saved and part of God's kingdom because we were faithful in ours? I wonder who in your life will have your life will have their lives changed because you believe God and you were kingdom-minded, gospel-centered, spirit-empowered, and mission-focused for His glory. We bow with you this morning.